For five years, Mozambique has been the site of a violent insurgency. Ansar al-Suna, an armed jihadist group, has terrorized communities in the northern province of Cabo Delgado. It's believed that more than 3,000 people have been killed and over 700,000 displaced. Events in northern Mozambique have attracted international attention and triggered a regional military response. Yet, the insurgency continues. In today's episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime, we explore the origins and drivers of the insurgency, its links to thriving illicit economies in northern Mozambique and its security implications for the region. I'm your host, Lindim Tongana. It's a incredibly economically marginalized region, which is really why it's referred to as the Forgotten Cape sometimes, and that it's been neglected governmentally for a very, very long time. Cabo Delgado, Mozambique's northernmost province, is one of the country's poorest and most politically marginalized. As Julia Staniard, a senior analyst with the Global Initiative's East and Southern Africa Observatory explains, however, this is only one of several factors that have coincided to foment conflict in this region. It's also home to this huge wealth of natural resources, forced among them, you know, the huge gas reserves lying off the coast which have attracted some of the largest foreign investment in Africa and other natural resources such as rubies. It has some of, one of the largest ruby deposits in the world. And so there's this kind of long-standing grievance that's built up as the government seen as corrupt and self-serving and taking the advantages of those resources with no benefit to the local populations. But it's also had this ethnic and religious element in that the local communities that have been particularly marginalised have been the majority Muslim, like Mwani and Lokua ethnic groups, and as opposed to the largely Christian Bakonde ethnic group, which are seen as, as taking the kind of foremost political and economic roles in the region. How did this insurgent group take advantage of these divisions to draw support? They've made claims about kind of, you know, the government being seen as corrupt, as serving the rich and not serving the people of the of the region. So they've built that into, you know, their propaganda and their self-justification for armed conflict, essentially. And we saw this group emerge first as a religious grouping, really, as kind of an extremist, more extremist sect working in Cabo Delgado and around the towns and attracting, attracting new followers. And then over time, that developed into an armed insurgency. The Mozambican insurgent group is locally known as Al-Shabaab, not to be confused with the Al-Shabaab militant group in Somalia. They also go by the name Ansar al-Sunnah, which translates into supporters of the tradition. Julia, looking at some key events, how would you say the influence and impact of this group has evolved since they emerged in 2017? Initially, this was small groups of attackers quite unsophisticated weapons, some of them using machetes, for example, staging attacks on towns and villages in the region. And slowly over time, that grew and they were able to take over more territory. By August 2020, the insurgents were able to take over the town of Masimba de Praia, which they held control of for around a year. And that was seen as a major escalation in that it's a strategic port town and that gave them a certain amount of control up and down the coast. That was seen as a major step change from this sporadic attacks and then withdrawals to holding this strategic territory. And then in March 2021, that's when 
they staged this attack on Parma, another town along the coast, which is what really caught the international attention, in part because of Parma's proximity to the huge gas development run by the French oil company Total. So dozens were left dead during this attack. Thousands of people were evacuated by boat and fled by land. And so that's how the insurgency had stepped up over time and their territory expanded. In addition to the poverty and political marginalization, corruption, inequality, and the religious and ethnic divides, northern Mozambique is also a key economic corridor for illicit flows that traverse the East African coast. For a long time, it's been a key corridor, particularly for drug trafficking, chiefly of heroin, and now more recently, methamphetamines and cocaine as well. So this is heroin that's being trafficked from the coast of Iran and Pakistan across to the East African coast to drop off points along the East African coast, including to northern Mozambique, often in these wooden fishing vessels called dows, which will traverse that journey. It's also a corridor for illicitly exported timber, which is harvested in northern Mozambique, and then historically has been a corridor for ivory and other wildlife products. Now, ivory Poaching and trafficking through northern Mozambique has decreased in recent years, but in the decade 2008-2018, it was a really major market. It also was historically a flow for human smuggling going southwards down the East African coast, but that has also since been disrupted. So between those lots of different markets, you've also got smuggled gems and gold. Actually, that's also another significant one of gems and gold mined uh, illicitly in the region or like informally and then smuggled outwards. So the makeup of that mosaic of different illicit trade flows means that it's cumulatively this kind of extra legal trade is a significant part of the economy of the region and has been for a very long time. Julia, this then begs the question, what is the relationship between the illicit economy in Cabo Delgado and the insurgency? Is there reason to believe the two may be linked? There's been a lot of speculation about this, and that occasionally there's been statements from Mozambican government officials and others claiming that the insurgency is profiting off illicit trade, and particularly drug trafficking. And we've tried to look at this very closely over the course of our research, and we found that the involvement in the illicit economy of across all types kind of constitutes only a small part of the insurgents' funding base, as far as we are aware. And actually, what we've seen is that the disruption caused by the conflict, you know, it's caused this damage to infrastructure, there's more monitoring of people passing in and out of the conflict zone, making it very difficult to move around, and especially to move around without protection means that lots of smuggling routes and trafficking networks have reoriented themselves away from the conflict zone. They want to be working in areas where there is functioning infrastructure, where there is the ability to move in and out, and that benefits not only legal economic activities, but illicit as well. So are you saying criminal groups are in fact adapting their operations in response to the insurgency? So... Particularly for drug trafficking, we saw that trafficking networks that were based in towns like Mesimbad prior, prior to the conflict breaking out, have shifted their operations to the south and haven't yet moved back to their northern bases because the situation is still so volatile. So, for example, before the conflict, we saw that uh, deliveries were made to them like beaches along the northern Mozambican coast with Pemba as the, one of the towns along the coast at the southernmost drop-off point. But now we've seen that shift and Pemba has become the most northerly drop-off point, and you know that's the recipients of uh, heroin and cocaine in container ship as well. 
but also drugs being landed further south along the coasts of Nampula and Zambezia provinces further down, which is not something that we saw before. But what about other illicit markets apart from drugs? We also looked into other forms of illicit trade that the insurgents might have been involved in, particularly the illicit gemstone and gold trade. And there's no evidence also to say that, as you can see in some other conflicts where armed groups kind of tax or take control of illicit natural resource markets like that, we've seen no evidence that they are are doing so. And in fact, partly because the hotspots or like the, the main areas of informal like small-scale mining are actually concentrated outside of the areas where they have held territory and they have also lost a significant amount of territory. But at the same time, we did have some reports that black market gold and ruby traders have been providing some financial support to the insurgents from outside the area in which they control. And these you know, maybe individuals running legitimate businesses as well as smuggling gold and precious gems and allegedly have been providing this kind of financial network in which they have been able to shift cash and gemstones and gold over the boundary lines of the conflict and kind of launder funds on behalf of the insurgents and, you know, be making payments to on their behalf to people outside the region that they control, for example, for people who have been fighting for them and to their families. So the illicit economy has been connected in this way, but it's not as direct as them being involved in drug trafficking or them being drug traffickers or taxing illicit trades per se. So what then are the insurgents' main sources of funding and how are they arming themselves? We understand that the main sources of funding are primarily local ones, support from uh, local business people who may have some sort of advantage to gain from supporting the insurgents or an ideological support for them. Cash and goods looted during attacks also pretty key. As we saw in previous years, a lot of the attacks, they targeted banks when they hit particular towns, they targeted basic goods and supplies and basically looted to support themselves. And that same goes for how they've been able to arm themselves as well. And that what we've seen is that their arms have primarily come from Mozambican government sources. So again, when they've staged attacks, when they've been able to take control of particular towns, they've targeted armories and you know looted arms that have belonged to the Mozambican state. And that's been seen on the videos that they've posted to their social media channels like after attacks, and you can see which weapons they've seized. Also, when they first uh, emerged, the insurgency, there were pre-existing arms flows in the region. It wasn't a region that had an absence of illicit arms flows already. There were flows of particular weapons to poaching gangs operating in the asset reserve, for example. There was banditry in the region that they would often use weapons that had been like diverted from, from government sources. And there were non-decommissioned weapons from the Mozambican Civil War as well. So those pre-existing flows went into the insurgency a little bit as well. Julia, to what extent are the insurgents in Mozambique linked to Islamic State? Insurgents in Mozambique first started making claims that they were you know, pledging allegiance to Islamic State way back on an early stage of the insurgency. And then in June 2019, we see this being reciprocated in the Islamic State Central first claims an attack in Mozambique. And then over time, since that mid-2019 point, the insurgency has been mentioned pretty regularly in Islamic State propaganda material. So that's over 40 editions of their regular newsletter that they put out. They've made claims about Mozambique, written articles about what their fighters are doing there, and also a larger number of other communiques which they distribute on their uh, social media channels have reported on different updates about the Mozambican situation.
So under Islamic State organization or how they how they present themselves, they present Mozambique as one of their regional provinces, as it were. So it's Islamic State Central Africa province makes up fighters in, in the DRC and fighters in Mozambique. So those two separate conflicts sort of fall under this same banner of Islamic State Central Africa province in a, in a kind of coordinated sense. But at the same time, the updates from the insurgents in Mozambique to Islamic State have been somewhat sporadic and fragmented. So at certain points, the communication does seem to die down. Who is more to gain from this connection with Islamic State? It seems in a way that it's mutually beneficial for both, because Islamic State, centrally, um, since around 2019, has lost its main territories in Iraq and Syria, and it's lost two main leaders in succession. And now they've got this kind of shift towards these alliances across, particularly across different regions of Africa. It has vital importance for them strategically, as it allows them to kind of push their agenda on multiple fronts. And they don't have the central caliphate anymore, but they can still pursue this globalised jihad across a lot of different fronts. And then for the insurgents in Mozambique, it offers them this platform and this international network and maybe more international support, which they wouldn't be able to have otherwise. So it's kind of mutually beneficial as well as them having this ideological alliance between them. When you speak of a globalised jihad, is there a sense that the Mozambique al-Shabaab group has support beyond its borders, particularly in the East and Southern Africa region? They have got a significant number of foreign fighters who've been fighting in Mozambique, primarily from East Africa, it seems, in that some of them have been reported that they're experienced fighters who played a role in other insurgencies around, for example, Eastern DRC and Somalia, and they've been drawn down to fight in Mozambique. These fighters often share kind of commonalities and shared language of Swahili between the Al-Shabaab fighters in Mozambique. And some foreign fighters have also been drawn from further afield. The number of fighters from who seem to have been travelled from South Africa is estimated to be very small, but, you know, it's not uh, an impossibility. So in terms of regional implications and similar movements or attacks in the region, there are some concerns that these foreign fighters who've joined Al-Shabaab and Cabo Delgado could scatter to home countries in state attacks if the insurgency is brought under control in a more effective sense by the regional forces working in Cabo Delgado or fighting there. It's still speculative, that risk, but it is, is something that could be a possibility. In April 2021, the insurgents launched a brazen attack on the town of Palma. The six-day siege ended with dozens of fatalities and the suspension of oil firm Total's $20 billion exploration activities in Mozambique. The weakness of Mozambique's military was exposed, forcing President Felipe Nyusi to seek help. Regional military intervention arrived in the form of Rwandan forces and SAMIM, the Southern African Development Community, or SADC, mission in Mozambique. In July 2021, you see the arrival of support forces from Rwanda and from SADC, the regional intergovernmental body. And they arrived in July 2021 to shore up the Mozambican military because they were you know, struggling to contain this in any meaningful way. And... After that intervention, they recaptured quite a lot of territory that the insurgents had previously held, and it initially seemed that the kind of the tide of the conflict had turned at this point, and that the Sadak and Rwandan forces were going to be able to stabilise the situation. In a recent press conference, South African National Defence Force Chief General Rudzani Mapwanya highlighted some of Samem's achievements. 
Since its deployment, Samim has registered a number of milestones, including recapturing of villages, bringing back members that were displaced, dislodging terrorists from their bases, and seizing weapons and war materials, which have contributed in creating havoc in the area. So Samim had brought relative stability and security in the area, such that people are feeling safe to go back to their homes. A good start, certainly. But as Julius Daniel points out, progress has stalled and the insurgency continues. We've seen a re-escalation of conflict in some key areas. In November and December 2021, we saw some attacks in neighbouring Nyasa province, just outside of Cabo Delgado, which was the first time we've seen violence expand to that region. And now we're seeing violence continue to flare up and there's more kind of smaller, scattered groups of insurgents staging attacks, particularly in Nangade district, which borders Tanzania, and also slightly further to the south in Makamiya district. And there's actually been more displacement of people from these regions as they flee some really terrible atrocities, the headings, torturing, assassination, you know, that kind of, that sort of terror is still being sown in those regions. So it's not as though the conflict is still going down. So what next for the intervention forces? Salmon's recently announced that they're going to have a, a de-escalation of their intervention force just over the last couple of days, so that it will shift from being this rapid intervention to a peacekeeping force, allegedly. It's not clear how that's going to work, because it seems contradictory, because at the same time, the force is expanding, and that South Africa, for example, is increasing its contingent of troops there. So it seems that, you know, they're announcing a de-escalation or a shift to a peacekeeping role, but at the same time, it's still hugely militarised and it's still so insecure and violence has renewed. And what about the long term? What's needed to restore peace and rebuild northern Mozambique? Some points that we would make off the back of our research is that there should be this kind of insufficient oversight of rebuilding efforts. Civil society should have a role, be afforded the freedom to play a role in conflict resolution, whether that's through mediation, as coordinators, or being a watchdog of what the state is doing, and helping to rebuild the rebuild the society and, and the governance there. And the press, in the same way, should be given access to report openly on how the Mozambican state is rebuilding the region. Um, and that hasn't happened really throughout the conflict that we've seen reporting actually be highly, highly restricted, and that's impeded free flow of information and oversight of what's what's been going on in Cabo Delgado. And that is something that you know we would really hope to see change. And then that also would allow the international community through flow that flow of information to provide this watchdog role over you know the human rights abuses that have allegedly been perpetrated by all sides of the conflict, like not just the insurgents, but also by the police and by the military. The underlying thing is that the factors that led to the insurgency, that you had this you know, huge amount of economic exclusion, breakdown in governance, really rampant corruption, and kind of elite capture of resources, all with this like ethnic and religious divide at the same time, those factors all still remain in place. And there's current fear that the reconstruction plans that are being put forward by the government are being done so in a way that doesn't allow for oversight and role of locally elected officials and that it's going to be managed from the central government that some 
most unbeaten civil society organisations seem quite worried about. But the issue is, at the moment, that those that rebuilding can't yet really take place because the region is still still so insecure. Though the military intervention from Rwanda and SADC forces has shown some success in pushing back the insurgents, little has been done by the Mozambican government to address the origins and drivers of this conflict. So long as factors like poverty, corruption and weak governance remain in place, the insurgency is likely to persist. That's it for this episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy. If you'd like to find out more about the topic discussed today, visit our website, globalinitiative.net. There you'll find the East and Southern Africa Observatory's latest risk bulletin with up-to-date analysis on the situation in northern Mozambique. You'll also find the Global Initiative's latest report on the Cabo Delgado conflict titled Insurgency, Illicit Markets and Corruption. A big thank you to my guest, Julia Staniard, from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm your host, Lindy Mtongana. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.